Hi, CityCast listeners, and happy Halloween. We went looking for a real-life, 100% true ghost story in the Houston area. And we found one. What you're going to hear is a true story from local playwright Brendan Bork-Sheel. It's Monday, October 31st, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. My name is Brendan Borkshiel, and this story is called Wicked Peak. When I was 18 and just about to move out of my mom's apartment in the Woodlands, Texas, we started hearing this knocking sound in the walls every night. It would wake us up around three in the morning. We'd trace it to my mom's closet. We'd open the closet door and the knock would fade to silence. The morning after night number three of this, my mom said with a little excitement, I think we have a ghost. This, by the way, was not at all out of the realm of normal stuff for her to say. My mom was a witch. She was part of a coven in the 80s during the heyday of Dianic Wicca, which is basically the intersection of magic and second wave feminism. But after 20-ish years apart from the coven, she'd spun off into her own very idiosyncratic belief system. She would tell stories about conversations she'd had with trees and fairies and prehistoric humans, And half of these stories happened while she was high on MDMA, and in her mind, that made them more credible, not less. She watched shows like Ghost Hunter, Crossing Over, The Dead Files, Kindred Spirits, and Long Island Medium, and believed in them more than she believed in the news. Ghosts were not only real to her, at this point in her life, they were like most of her reality. In my mom's eyes, all of you listening are just a bunch of pre-ghosts waiting to hatch in some dark trench of the Dead Sea that is existence. So, as far as she was concerned, there was no other explanation for the sound in the walls. It was a ghost knocking, and it was going to keep knocking until we answered the metaphysical door. So that evening, around sunset, she asked me to join her in the living room for a ritual. We cleansed the space by lighting candles and spreading salt water. We cast a circle, which basically means calling on different guardian spirits to protect and focus your magical work. I myself had a mixed bag of feelings about the whole situation. When I'd been younger, I used to hang on to every word of my mom's ghost stories. And while I'd done solstice and equinox rituals with her before, this was my first time being invited to participate in a ghost encounter. So the little kid in me was pretty stoked. But at some point I'd hit the teenage rebellion phase. And when your mom's a hippy dippy counterculture radical, The only direction you have to go in is to become a wet blanket skeptic, so I'd spent the last four years kind of being the Agent Scully to her molder, and this whole seance bothered me on principle. Still, I stuck with it, curious to see how it all would play out, and whether I'd gotten the ghost whisperer gene or not. If you're picturing what we were doing here as some kind of exorcism, that really wasn't the mood. It was more like an intervention. We would listen to the ghost, then tell it how it was making us feel, and end with a firm but loving ultimatum. In mom's ghost stories, the ghost always leaves in peace. So, there we are, circle cast, waiting in silence, during which I thought we were supposed to be meditating, maybe dialing into some spiritual wavelength where you're able to discourse with the dead. But then suddenly my mom was like, Mmm, uh-huh, yeah the way you do in the middle of a conversation, and I realized, oh, man, the ghost is already here. They started without me. And I tried harder to concentrate and see if I could get some clairvoyant flash of revelation, but I was getting nothing except the occasional, "Uh uh-huh, 
yeah, from my mom. From my end, it felt like babysitting someone on LSD. Like, here was mom right next to me having this vivid experience all to herself. And maybe it was the feeling of exclusion that sent me over the edge, but I started to lightly heckle the seance. Every time mom said, uh-huh, I would tag onto it something like, hmm, yes, quite so. My mom, probably in an effort to politely shut me up, let me in on what she was seeing. A little girl in a pinafore dress. The girl, mom told me, kept saying that she was lost on the way to a very important, very exciting party. And I'm not proud of this because it was disrespectful and not even a very good burn, but I said, hmm, little girl ghost, kind of cliche. I don't remember it going on much longer. Within a couple minutes, whatever conversation my mom and the ghost were having had reached a point where mom was saying stuff like, I hear you, I accept you, but now it's time to move on. She gently said a couple different versions of that message. And then I could tell by watching her, whatever conversation she was having had ended and whoever she was talking to, real or imagined, was gone. And it was just us again, both kind of annoyed at each other. And that night, there was no more knocking sound. We never heard it again. Which I hate. So much. But I was at least glad to be done with the whole thing. Or so I thought. Cut to eight years later, and sorry in advance because this is where the story takes a turn from light-hearted ghost romp to something a little heavier. I'm 26 at this point, and my mom has recently died. I'm going through her old stuff. I turn on her computer and find that she was writing a book. It's sort of half memoir, half essays about her spiritual beliefs. There's a chapter about her coven and one about prehistorical aliens. And there's a chapter on this little girl she talked to back when I was 18. But in this manuscript, she's added in some details that she hadn't shared with me on the night it happened. Mom's book says that about halfway through the seance, she realized that little girl was her mother like an innocent childhood piece of her mother. And in the moment I read that, I knew, whether there was really a ghost or not, this event had been a way bigger deal than I realized. It would be too much to get into my mom's whole relationship with her mother, who I will simply call Anne because I definitely never called her grandma. But just to give you a sense of their dynamic, my mom had this incredibly strong startle response. For her entire life, if you walked into a room and she didn't see you coming, there was literally no way to alert her to your presence without making her jump. And the reason her fight or flight had such a hair trigger is because of things that were done to her by Anne. Long before Anne died, she haunted my mom. Anne was probably a big part of why she believed in ghosts in the first place. The way mom put it in her book was that Seeing the little girl helped her remember Anne wasn't always a bad person. That somewhere early in Anne's life, some things had happened to her, and she'd gotten stuck. And now, in the afterlife, Anne was finally unstuck, and she got to start over as a little kid again. And my mom was able to feel happy for her in that moment. I did the math, and I realized this episode with the knocking sound and the ghost happened six months after Anne died. I've heard for a lot of people, grief reaches its peak at six months. And if that was mom's peak of grieving Anne, I have to acknowledge, it was a pretty wicked peak. And look, if you asked me, do you really think there was a little kid knocking on the walls? I don't know. I tend to doubt it. 
but I do really think Mom saved herself hours of therapy with that ritual. Imagine the next time your past comes knocking, keeping you up at night. You could just light some candles, have a conversation with it, and then ask it to leave, and it actually would. Whether ghosts are real or not, I think that qualifies as magic. Oh, Brendan, thank you so much. I love this story. Well, thank you for listening. So I first heard this story from a performance of Grown Up Storytime here in Houston. Do you have your work read there very often? I would say over the past five or six years, I've written maybe 20, a little over 20 stories for Grown Up Storytime. It's one of my most consistent favorite venues to write for here in Houston. And you're also a playwright. I am. And what's great about Grown Up Storytime is it's not that different. You write words for a live audience, but you get to send somebody else up there to take the hit and the anxiety of actually performing them. (laughs) So your plays are often autobiographical. Am I right about that? They are most certainly all rooted in personal experience, some more literally. Sometimes it's just sort of ideas I've lived with for a long time. But yeah, of course, I think any playwright is taking pieces of themselves and sort of manifesting them on a stage in a dramatically interesting way. You've written about your mother other times, haven't you? I've written about my mother many times, which is a little ironic because I kept her a secret growing up. Well, I should say I kept both my mothers a secret growing up because it wasn't always easy. Oh, you had two mothers. That's right. I had two. And that was not the coolest thing to brag about as a little kid in Texas in the 90s. (laughs) Uh, But it's such a big part of who I am. And it made me, uh, it forged so much of what is my identity that as I've gotten into adulthood and I've gotten more comfortable and the world's progressed a little bit more, it has become a thing that I consistently go back to and mine for storytelling on stage and in my personal life. So your mothers are still very vivid. They're still with you all the time. Very much so. Uh, between my two mothers, the one who was in the story, of course, is no longer with us, but uh, is thought of often. And, you know, my latest play, Sunrise Coven, was uh, in so many ways tied to her and in so many ways would not exist without her. And then my other mom uh, is still around and lives near me, and I see her like every day. So, what inspired you to tell this particular story now? I've been trying to write this story for years. And it's just a complicated one to distill in a succinct way because like a ghost, it's sort of this flashbulb moment that has so much attached to it and figuring out what to communicate and what to leave in the past was one of the hard parts of doing this one. It certainly helped that I had already written some other things about witchcraft and and how my mom's connection to witchcraft informed who I am as a person. Again, my play Sunrise Coven, getting a little bit more of that out there uh, made it easier 
for this story to come forward and not feel like it had to attach to all the, this other stuff that I, I needed to get out. I guess you could say uh, <laughs> it was like a very slow motion exorcism <laughs> getting this story out of me. Is it a kind of mourning? You talk about that in the story. Yeah, I guess it is. It's a warmer remembrance than what your mom was doing. Yeah, when you zoom out on mourning, and and don't think of it as the immediate aftermath of a death, but as a lifelong journey, I think this is the warmer stuff that you reach after a few years without the person you lost, and the way that they continue to shape you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, the ghosts you live with. Exactly. All right, well, thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you very much, Lisa. This has been great. I love the show, by the way, and I'm glad to know about it. Oh, well, thank you. That was Houston playwright Brendan Bork-Sheel. We will have links to Grown Up Storytime in our show notes. That's it for our show today. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. The lag is just, yeah, don't worry about it. If It's not unlike talking to a ghost. 